Shalom, shalom. Welcome, welcome, world changers. Great to see y'all here. Today, we're going to get into Jeremiah chapter 30 through 34, actually. So it's going to be awesome. Uh, we're going to deal with a lot of different things as we usually do. And especially today, we are getting into the very, very uh, famous passage of, uh, behold, I am I make a new covenant with you, says the Lord. You know, the new covenant promise of Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31. So we're going to get into that as well. Not that that's the most important note of everything that we're going to read today, but that's the most well-known for sure. Jeremiah chapter 30. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, thus speaks the Lord God of Israel, saying, write in a book for yourself all the words that I have spoken to you. For behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will bring back the cap from captivity my people Israel and Judah, says the Lord, and I will cause them to return to the land that I gave their fathers, and they shall possess it. Hmm. Reminds me of what happened in 1948, you know. Verse 4. Now these are the words of the Lord that the Lord spoke concerning Israel and Judah. For thus says the Lord. We have heard a voice of trembling, of fear, and not of peace. Ask now and see whether, whether a man is ever in labor with child. Or why do I see every man with his hands on his loins? Like, excuse me, so why do I see every man with his hands on his loins? Like a, like a woman in labor. And all faces turned pale. Alas, for that day is great. So that, so that none is like it, and it is the time of Jacob's trouble. But he shall be saved out of it. For it shall come to pass in that day, says the Lord of hosts, and I will break his yoke from your neck and will burst your bonds. Foreigners shall no more enslave them. But they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. Therefore, do not fear, O my servant Jacob, says the Lord, nor be dismayed, O Israel. Again, we got, notice how we have uh, two different lines, okay? Uh, each one speaking about the same person, more or less. We have Jacob and Israel. However, like you say, well, why is it why is it Jacob here and Israel here? Well, you know, Jacob is kind of like the old man, so to speak, right? And Israel is like the new man, the uh, uh, the the regenerated man. For behold, I will save you from afar, and your seed from the land of their captivity. Jacob shall return, have rest, and be quiet. And no one shall make him afraid, for I am with you, says the Lord, to save you. Though I make a full end of all nations where I have scattered you, yet I will not make a complete end of you. But I will correct you in justice and will not let you, all let you go altogether unpunished. For thus says the Lord, your affliction is incurable, your wound is severe. There is no one to plead your cause that you may be bound up and, and have no healing medicines. All your lovers have forgotten you. They do not seek you. 
for I have, have wounded you with the wound of an enemy, with the chastisement of a cruel one, for the multitude of your iniquities, because your sins have increased. Why do you cry about your affliction? Your sorrow is incurable because of the multitude of your iniquities, because your sins have increased. I have done these things to you. Therefore, all those who devour you shall be devoured, and all your adversaries, every one of them shall go into captivity. Those who plunder you shall become plunder, and all who prey upon you I will make a prey. For I will restore health to you and heal you of your wounds, says the Lord, because they called you an outcast, saying, This is Zion, no one seeks her. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will bring back the captivity of Jacob's tents and have mercy on his dwellings. The city shall be built upon its own mound, mound in the footnotes, ruins, and the palace shall remain according to its own plan. Hmm. Then out of them shall proceed thanksgiving and the voice of those who make merry. I will multiply them and they shall not diminish. I will also glorify them and they shall not be small. Their children also shall be as before and their congregation shall be established before me. And I will punish all who oppress them. Their nobles from among them and their governor shall come from their midst. Then I will cause him to draw near and he shall approach me. For who is this who pledged his heart to me, says the Lord? You shall be my people and I will be your God. Behold, the whirlwind of the Lord goes forth with fury. A continuing whirlwind, it shall it will fall violently on the head of the wicked. The fierce anger of the Lord will not return until he has done it, and until he performed the intents of his heart. In the latter days you will consider it. Jeremiah chapter thirty one. At that time excuse me, at the same time, says the Lord. I will be the God of all the families of Israel, and they shall be my people. Thus says the Lord, the people who survived the sword found grace in the wilderness. Israel, when I went to give him rest, the Lord appeared of old to me, saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. Again, I will build you and you shall be, be you shall be rebuilt, O virgin Israel. You shall again be adorned with your tambourines and shall go forth in the dances of those who rejoice. Yet you shall yet plant vines on the mountains of Samaria. The planters shall plant and eat them as ordinary food. For there shall be a day when the watchman will cry on Mount Ephraim, Arise, let us go up to Zion, to the, to the Lord our God. For thus says the Lord, Sing with gladness for Jacob, and shout among the chief 
of the name. Proclaim, give praise, say, O Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel. Behold, I will bring them from the north country and gather them from the ends of the earth, among them the blind and the lame, the woman with child, and the ones and the one who labors with child together. A great throng shall return there. They shall come with weeping, and with supplications I will lead them. I will cause them to walk by the rivers of water in a straight way in which they shall not stumble. For I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. Notice he didn't say I'm a father to Jacob. He said I'm a father to Israel. That's, that's, I believe that's significant. Speaking of the new man, so to speak, the new creation. 10. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it in the isles afar off, and say, He who scattered Israel will gather him and keep him as a shepherd does his flock. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob and ransomed him from the hand of, the, of, of one stronger than he. Therefore they shall come and sing in the height of Zion, streaming to the goodness of the Lord, for wheat and new wine and oil, for the young of the flock and the herd, their, their souls shall be like a well-watered garden, and they shall sorrow no more at all. Then shall the virgin rejoice in the dance, and the young men and the old together, for I will turn their mourning to joy, will comfort them, and make them rejoice rather than sorrow. I will satiate the soul of the priests with abundance, and my people shall be satisfied with my goodness, says the Lord. Thus says the Lord, a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted for her children because they are no more. Now that is a portion of scripture. I know a lot of you uh, recognize this. This is a portion of scripture that is often referred to uh, in regards to the um, the newborns, uh, when when Yeshua was born and the, the slaughter of those young. Um, so let me pull that up. Yeah, so it's referred to in Matthew chapter 2. I'm going to pull this up. Matthew chapter 2, verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding, exceeding wroth and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and in the coast thereof from two years old and under, un, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Then was fulfilled which was spoken by Jeremy or Jeremiah the prophet saying, in Ramah, was there a voice heard, lamentation, weeping, and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and would not be comforted because they are not. Very, very interesting portion of Scripture. Just want to, let's just sit on this for a minute here, because it is a very 
interesting portion. It's like, this is long after the days of Rachel, okay? Like, what, 2,000 years? Like, long after the, the days of Rachel. And yet, it says that when the children were killed in the time of Jesus, when he was little, in the time of Yeshua, you know, by Herod, that particular portion of scripture was fulfilled. In Ramah, there was, there was a voice heard, lamentation, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children who could not be comforted. So you say, how, how can that be? What, what does that mean? It's a very good question. It could mean, like, literally, um, in the sense that Rachel, if you would say Rachel knew what was happening at that time, you know, Rachel would, would be aware, you know, Rachel was in paradise, so to speak, you know, um, with Abraham, you know, and, you know, that kind of thing. And she knew what was going on on the earth. And, and that could be interpreted that way. And don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that's what it is. I'm just, I'm just, let's just mull over this a little bit. So it could be saying that Rachel actually was aware of what was going on. That's a possibility. Also, it could be that Rachel stood for um, the, the name Rachel here in this passage of Scripture stands for her descendants, uh, her daughters, as it were, you know, what is it, like how many generations down the line, you know, so um, that could be as well. Rachel could also be a, uh, a symbol for, uh, for something else as well. So there are multiple different ways of looking at it, but it is a very, very interesting passage that Matthew ties Jeremiah 31 into this portion, uh, you know, in, into this as, as it was, as he said, this is a fulfillment of that prophecy. Very interesting. So, um, I mean, you judge. What is it? What does it actually mean? Uh, is it mean literally? Hit her like she was, her as in Rachel herself was aware of what was going on, um, or could it be? Could it represent her, her descendants, um, or could it be something else? Very interesting. By the way, before I get too far here, especially if we have any new people joining us. Um, Questions for me, because uh, I, I I see we have, as usual, we have a lot of activity in the chat. So questions, if you want to draw my attention to something, just put at Christopher, at Christopher Enoch in the live chat, and that would help me find your, your question or your comment. All right, so um, let's continue. Jeremiah 31, 16, thus says the Lord. Again, I love it. You know, I love it when it says this kind of, thus saith the Lord. Thus says the Lord. The Lord God of Israel says this, you know, because this is authority. This is speaking with authority. Again, not every book of the Bible is created equal. Not every book is created equal. Not every author speaks like this. Many do, but not everyone does. You know, so I think it's important to understand that there are dynamics in Scripture. There are some books that are more authoritative than others. 
I think that's important to understand. Thus says the Lord. Now, by the way, um, you see we got quotes here, right? We got, thus says the Lord, quote, and, and then down here we got basically unquote at the bottom. So all this stuff, all this is what the Lord said, you know, verse 16 through verse 22. Um, and so this, what I consider to be the pure, this is, this is what I consider to be the word of God. Now I know the Bible, many people understand and, uh, many people see the whole Bible as the word of God. Um, and you can say that, you know, I, I don't have a, I'm not going to get you know, my nose on a joint of people call the whole Bible the Word of God. It's generally speaking, it is, you know, in a general sense, not every, I don't believe every single word of it is because that we have words from Job, you know, the word of Job, the word of Elihu. We have the word of, uh, you know, um, we have the word of Paul, for example. You know, we have different authors, different words. And this is how I look at it. What I say is my word. What you say is your word. If John says to Mary, hi, Mary, how are you doing? Mary says, I'm fine, thank you, how are you? Is it all the word of John? No. John's word is, hi, Mary, how are you doing? Mary says, I'm fine, thank you, how are you? That's Mary's word, right? This is how I look at it. When it says, thus says the Lord, thus saith the Lord, quote and unquote, in those quotes, that's the word of God. I mean, Literally speaking, that's what actually comes from his mouth. That is what he actually speaks. Other parts of scripture are narration or other words from other people. So, thus says the Lord, quote, Refrain your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for your work shall be rewarded, says the Lord, and they shall come back from the land of the enemy. There is hope in your future, says the Lord, that your children shall come back to their own border. I have surely heard Ephraim bemoaning himself. You have chastised me, and I was chastised like an untrained bull. Restore me, and I will return. For you are the Lord my God. Surely, after my turning, I repented. And after I was instructed, I struck myself on the thigh. I was ashamed, yes, even humiliated, because I bore the reproach of my youth. Is Ephraim my dear son? Is he a pleasant child? For though I spoke against him, I earnestly remember him still. Therefore, my heart yearns for him, I will surely have mercy on him, says the Lord. Set up signposts. Make landmarks. Set your heart toward the highway, the way in which you went. Turn back, O virgin of Israel. Turn back to these your cities. How long will you gad about, O you backsliding daughter? For the Lord has created a new thing in the earth. A, a woman shall encompass a man. For the, and thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, quote, They shall again use this speech in the land of Judah and in, the, and in its cities when I bring back their captivity and 
There shall dwell in Judah itself and in all its cities together farmers and those going out with flocks. For I have satiated the weary soul and I, I have replenished every sorrowful soul. We're satiated here in the footnotes, fully satisfied, fully satisfied, the weary soul. Verse 26, after this, I awoke and looked around and my sheep, excuse me, and my sleep was sweet to me. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the seed of man and the seed of beast. And it shall come to pass that as I have watched over them to pluck up, to break down, to throw down, to destroy, and to afflict, so I will watch over them to build and to plant, says the Lord. In those, da- in those days they shall say no more, the fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge, but everyone shall die for his own iniquity. Every man who eats the sour grapes, his teeth shall be set on edge. Here is, here is the passage. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law, by the word, by the way, this word law is literally Torah. I will put my Torah in their mind and write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother say, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin. I will remember no more. Okay, so let's just take a moment to talk about this. A lot of people do not know what new covenant means. They believe that new covenant means new New covenant does not mean new law. The Torah is the Torah. Covenant is a covenant. Covenant is not law. The law can be in the covenant, and that, that it is, but covenant is not law. Covenants come and covenants go. The law still stands. It's misleading that Bible publishers, many of them, in fact, not all of them, there, there are, I actually do have a Bible here that doesn't have Old Testament, New Testament, you know, separate. It's all, it, it, it's all, it's not segregated like that, okay? But most of the time, most Bibles are like that. You have the Old Testament and you have the New Testament. It's very misleading because a lot of people don't understand there are many covenants from Genesis to Revelation, not just two. And just to be clear, the word covenant and testament are synonymous. Okay, when I say testament, I mean covenant. When I say covenant, I mean testament. I use them interchangeably. So 
New covenant doesn't mean new law. There are many covenants throughout the scriptures. There's the covenant of Adam. There's the covenant of Noah. There's the covenant of Abraham. There's the covenant of Isaac. There's the covenant of Jacob. There's the covenant of David. And on and on it goes. There are many different covenants. So it's misleading to group them all together in one and slap the label old covenant on it because that's just not true in the sense that the old covenant is not a scope of books like from Genesis to Malachi. It's not 39 books of the so-called Old Testament. That's not, that's not the Old Testament. It's not books. The Old, the old Testament is one of, the, one, of the testament, one of the many testaments within those scope of books. That is the Old, the old Testament. So covenants come and covenants go. The, the law still stands. For those of you who are wondering, you want to understand this a little bit better, a marriage is actually a covenant, okay? So people, um, let me just put it this way. In, in any, given, any given nation, okay, there are many, many marriages. And some of those marriages are, you know, end through one way or another, through death or divorce. Uh, and there are many marriages that happen like all the time, you know, so... When, when somebody gets married, does that mean the entire law of the land changes into a new law? No. We have a new covenant. See what I'm saying? We have a new covenant, the marriage, but we don't have a new law. The, the law is still there. The law is unchanged. We just have a new covenant. Your spouse, you know, uh, let's say one of the spouses... Uh, either pass away or, you know, uh, have the unfortunate circumstance circumstance of divorce, then uh, that covenant ends. Does that mean the whole law of the land ends with that? No, of course not. The law still stands. It's still the same. You get remarried and you're still under the same law. <laughs> so, you know what I'm saying? The old covenant comes, the old covenant goes, the new covenant comes, the new covenant goes. Still the same law. Still the same law. Now, the best way to understand this, I mean, that's that's one way to help you understand it, but um, let me just pull up a passage here. Pull up a passage. And here I go again, uh, as I do from time to time. Um, a lot of people think that I'm completely anti Paul, just because I question, just because I look at him in, a, in an objective way. But I'm going to pull up a passage from Paul here because I think this makes a point. Um, so this is 2 Corinthians 3 3. It says, For as much as you are manifestly, manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, not uh, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God not in tables or tablets of stone, but in fleshly tablets of the heart. So the old covenant is written on stone. The old covenant is the Torah written on stone. The new covenant is the Torah, same Torah, written on your hearts okay you see that is so it's so important to understand that so the old covenant 
i.e. Old Testament, a.k.a. Old Testament, is the Torah, God's law, on, on stone, okay? Uh, whereas the New Covenant, or New Testament, is the Torah, God's law, written on your heart. You know, so I remember the days, I know some of you would not remember these days, but I remember the days when cassette tapes was a thing. You know, you could go to the store, the music store, and buy yourself a cassette tape of your favorite band or favorite musician, whatever. You can buy an album, uh, you know, a music album on cassette tape. Today, you can get the exact same album as a digital download. It's likely that that digital download has been remastered and is better better quality uh it sounds it just sounds better it's the same the same music the same lyrics the same song everything's the same just a little bit clear a little bit clearer better quality you know and that's the same way it is with the New Testament, New Covenant. See where I'm getting at? We have the same thing, the law, instead of it written on stone, i.e. cassette tapes, as it were, it's written on our hearts directly, like a direct download, right? So it's like we have the same Torah in digital format, so to speak, if, you, if I can put it that way. That's the New Covenant. Again, no, you know, in the light of what I just said, let's read this one more time and we'll continue. Jeremiah 31, 31. Uh, and by the way, just before I go too far here, uh, for those of you who have any questions for me, please uh, put uh, at Christopher in the live chat. Please put at Christopher in the live chat and that will... Um, that will bring it to my attention, and I will get to your questions after we do the reading for tonight. So um, please do that. Um, let me just see here. Uh, just and if any of you uh, that are in the that are watching right now, if any of you have submitted questions uh, through comments on my videos, and if I haven't answered them, my apologies. If you will, if you could. Submit them right now. Submit them right now, and we'll get to them. We'll get to them live. Okay, we'll get to them live. So it's. I think it's. It's just. It's an amazing thing we can do here. You know, thank God that we can do this kind of thing. Um, I can address your comments live here. Okay, so Jeremiah thirty-one verse thirty-one. Again, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. So this is like, like a new marriage, right? This is like a new. It's agree. It's an agreement, really. This is what this word means it's it's a covenant agreement it's like a mirror with the house of israel with the house of judah not according to the covenant that i made with their fathers in the day that i took them by the by the hand to lead them out of the land of egypt my covenant which they broke though i was a husband to them says the lord kind of interesting that they that he has this kind of marriage marriage thing uh, in here anyway verse 33 but this is the covenant that i will make with the house of israel after those days after those days, says the Lord. Okay, so this is the covenant. This is the covenant right here. This is the new covenant. I will put my law. Again, if you look this up in the original manuscripts, in the original Hebrew, it says Torah. You know what? Just, just for the sake of it, I'm going to show you guys. I, I didn't 
uh, we're just you're just we're just doing this spontaneously here. Jeremiah 31 33. I'll show you guys right right as we go. Okay, Jeremiah 31 33. I'll show you guys that I'm not making this up. <laughs> okay. Uh, but I okay, so this this is the verse, by the way. Uh, this is the verse we're talking about. So what is this word law? I will put, so this is the covenant. I will put my law in their inward parts. Okay, so, uh, but if you see on the left-hand side, you see the words, uh, the English words, but this shall be the covenant that I make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law. See, my law right there, my law, which is in the Hebrew, Torah. Torah, see that right there in the center of the screen? Torah. Mm -hmm. I will put my Torah in their minds and write it on their hearts. So the first covenant was his Torah on stone. His The second covenant is the Torah, the same Torah, on your hearts. Okay? Just like music, you have an album, you got the old-fashioned cassette tapes. That's like the stone, right? And then you got the new digital download. That's like your heart. Moving on here uh, with the last part of verse 33. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Verse 34. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord. Now, let me just, let me just clarify this as well. Okay? Because a lot of people don't quite understand what this is talking about know the lord is not talking about just teaching about the scriptures or know the lord is talking about a relationship with him like knowing him like it says adam knew eve okay you know like uh, noah knew his wife and bore a son you know so it, it is a, it is in a relationship a personal, you know, intimate, as it were, relationship with God, okay? So no one can really teach that. You have to experience it. So that's what this means. You have to experience it yourself. It's very important to have that experiential knowledge of the Lord. Now, just because you have experiential knowledge of the Lord doesn't mean that you have all the knowledge that, you know, I mean, there's still lots to learn amazing things to learn too i mean learning more about the scriptures learning more about the the cultural context and the history of uh, you know different path, uh, different authors of the bible and and all, there's so much to learn however the intimate knowledge of god is something you have to experience yourself you know it's, it's i mean make it, to make it really really simple like a child you could say okay um you have, I can't, I, you can't really know how to ride a bicycle as a child just by going to school and learning words. You have to actually experience it yourself. You can't just read a textbook and get 100% on your test and say, I know how to ride a bicycle, right? Because if you go on that bicycle, if you've never been on a bicycle before, you're not going to, you're not going to do very well to begin with, even though you might know the whole entire, you know, all the theory. And 
you know, same way as well. I mean, if you're really into bicycles, for example, um, you can know how to ride a bicycle, but there's a lot more you can learn on top of that as well. Like a lot of more knowledge you can learn about it. Um, and so that's basically this, the kind of context we got here. Um, know the Lord, meaning that experiential knowledge. So not, uh, again, verse 34, no more shall every man teach his neighbor and, and every man his brother saying, know the Lord. For they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin will I will remember no more. So, you can't really have the, the experiential knowledge um, without forgiveness, right? So, you need, you know, first comes God's forgiveness, then comes God's you know, uh, presence, so to speak, or his, his, his favor, his knowledge or the not his experiential knowledge. Um, you experience him. He comes because he forgives you because of his love and his mercy. He comes and you experience God. And it is just a wonderful, glorious thing. Okay. Moving on. Verse 35. Thus says the Lord who gives the sun for a light by day, the ordinances of the moon and the stars for a light by night. Who disturbs the sea and its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If those ordinances depart from before me, says the Lord, then I then the seed of Israel shall also cease from being a nation before me. Wow. Okay. Forever, says here. Uh, so then the seed of Israel shall cease from being a nation before me forever. Verse 35, uh, 37, thus says the Lord, if heaven above can be measured, <laughs> we know that we know that even in all of our high great technology that we have today, you know, we know that not even Elon Musk can, can measure the, the heavens, you see. Uh, with all of our great technology we have today, uh, we cannot even measure creation uh estimate guess perhaps guesstimate but not measure it you know uh, if heaven above can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath <laughs> this reminds me remember when that uh, malaysian airlines went down you know a few years ago there and it's like you know nobody knew where it went still to this day it's like gone you know disappeared there's so much, I believe, that even just in the seas alone, the oceans uh, that have not been found, let alone the depths of the earth, the foundations of the earth, uh, it's amazing. Actually, we, we are still finding different species of different creatures as well. It's like we're still, we're still just discovering creation, really. I mean, how many thousands of years has it been? Um, and we're still discovering so if the heaven heaven above can be measured and the foundations of the earth searched out beneath, I will also cast off all the seed of Israel for all they have done, says the Lord. Wow. Pretty much impossible. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that the city shall be built for the Lord from the tower of Hananel to the corner gate. The surveyor's line shall again extend straight forward over the hill 
Gareb, then it shall turn toward Goath. And the whole valley of the dead bodies and of the ashes and all the fields as of as far as the brook Kidron to the corner of the horse gate toward the east shall shall be holy to the Lord. It shall not be plucked up or thrown down for uh, any more forever. Jeremiah chapter 32. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord in the 10th year of Zedekiah, king of Judah, which was the 18th year of Nebuchadnezzar. For then the king of Babylon's army besieged Jerusalem and Jeremiah the prophet was shut up in the court of the prison, which was in the king of Judah's house. For Zedekiah, king of Judah, had shut him up, saying, Why do you prophesy and say, Thus says the Lord? Uh, Behold, I will give this city into the hand of the king of Babylon, and he shall take it. And Zedekiah, king of Judah, shall not escape from the hand of the Chaldeans, but shall surely be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon, and shall speak with him face to face, and see him eye to eye. Then he shall lead Zedekiah to Babylon, and there shall be an and there he shall be until I visit him, says the Lord. Though you fight with the Chaldeans, you shall not succeed. And Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Behold, Hanamel, son of Shalom, your uncle will come to you, saying, By my field, which is in Anathoth, in the right, or excuse me, for the right of redemption is yours to buy it. Then Hanamel, my uncle's son, came to me in the court of the prison, according to the word of the Lord, and said to me, Please buy my field that is in Anathoth, which is in the country of Benjamin, for the right of inheritance is your redemption, yours. Buy it for yourself. Then I knew that this was the word of the Lord. So I bought the field from Hanamel, the son of my uncle, who was in Anathoth, and weighed out for him, weighed out to him money, 17 shekels of silver, and I signed the deed and sealed it, took witnesses, and weighed the money on the scales. So I took the purchase deed, both that which was sealed according to the law and custom, and that which was open, and I gave the purchase deed to Baruch, the son of Nariah, uh, son of Messiah, in the presence of Hanamel, my uncle's son, and in the presence of the witnesses who signed the purchase deed before all the Jews who sat in the court of the prison. Then I charged Baruch before them, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Take these deeds, both this purchase deed, which is sealed, and this deed which is open, and put them in an earthen vessel, that they may... Uh, excuse me, that they may last many days. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, houses and fields and vineyards shall be possessed again in this land. Now, when, when I had delivered the purchase deed to Baruch, the son of Nariah, I prayed to the Lord, saying, Ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. There is nothing too hard for you. You show loving kindness to thousands and repay the iniquity of the fathers into the bosom of their children after them. The great, the mighty God, whose name is the Lord of hosts. 
You are great in counsel and mighty in work, for your eyes are open to all the ways of the sons of men to give everyone according to his ways and according to the fruit of of his doings. You have set signs and wonders in the land of Egypt to this day and in Israel and among other men, and you have made yourself a name as it is this day. You have brought your people Israel out of the land of Egypt with signs and wonders, with a strong hand and with an outstretched arm and with great terror. You have given them this land of which you swore to give uh, to their fathers to give them a land flowing with milk and honey. And then, excuse me, and they came in and took possession of it. But they they have not obeyed your voice or walked in your law. They have done nothing at all, nothing of all that you commanded them to do. Therefore, you have caused all this calamity to come upon them. Look, the siege mounds. They have come to the city to take it. And the city has been given into the hand of the Chaldeans who fight against it because of the sword and famine and pestilence. What you have spoken has happened. There you see it. And you have said to me, O Lord God, Buy the field for money and take and take witnesses. Yet the city has been given into the hand of the Chaldeans. By the way, guys, you know what? Just before I go too far, I want to say this because this is on my mind. We have been reading about Baruch here. Lord willing, perhaps, hey, maybe after we're done this book, we'll see how it goes. Let's get into some of the 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 book of Baruch, right? Second Baruch and some of these very amazing passages, the, uh, the apocalypse of, of Baruch. They can be very interesting to read. Just saying. Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 26. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Therefore, thus says the Lord. Okay. Thus says the Lord. Behold, I will give this city into the hand of the Chaldeans, into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he shall take it. And the Chaldeans who fight against this city shall come and set fire to the city and burn it. With the houses on the roofs, they have offered incense to Baal and poured out their drink off, poured out drink offerings to other gods. To provoke me to anger. Because the children of Israel and the children of Judah have have done only evil. Only evil before me from their youth. For the children of Israel have provoked me only to anger with with the work of their hands, says the Lord. For this city has been to me a provocation of my anger and my fury from the day that that they built it, even to this day. So I will remove it from my face because of all the evil of the children of Israel and the children of Judah, which they have done to provoke me to anger. They, their kings, their princes, their priests, their prophets, the men of Judah, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and they have turned to, uh, to me the back and not the face. Though I taught them, rising up early and teaching them, yet they have not listened to receive instruction. But they set their abominations in the house 
which is called by my name to defile it. And they built the high places of Baal, which which are in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to cause their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire to Molech, which I did not command them, nor did it come into my mind that they should do this abomination to cause Judah to sin. Now, therefore, says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning this city of which you say it shall be delivered into the hand of the king of Babylon by the sword, by, by the famine, and by the pestilence. Behold, I will gather them out of all countries where I have driven them in my anger, in my fury, and in great wrath. I will bring them back to this place, and I will cause them to dwell safely. They shall be my people, and I will be their God. Then I will give them one heart and one way, that they may fear me forever for the good of them and their children after them. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them that I may not turn away from doing them good, but I will put my fear into their hearts so that they will not depart from me. Yes, I will rejoice over them to do, to do them good, and I will assuredly plant them in this land with all my heart and with all my soul. For thus says the Lord, just as I have brought all this great calamity on this people, so I will bring them on them all the good that I have promised them. And the fields will be bought in this land of which you say it is desolate. Without man or beast, it has been given to the hand of the Chaldeans. Men will buy fields for money, sign deeds and seal them and take witnesses in the land of Benjamin, in the places around Jerusalem, in the, in the cities of Judah, in the cities of the mountains, in the cities of the lowland, and in the cities of the south, for I will cause their captives to return, says the Lord. Jeremiah chapter 33. One more, um, just another reminder. I'm going to be reading Jeremiah chapter 33 and 34. And then I'm going to dive right into the live chat and answer your questions. Again, any questions directed specifically for me, you want to get my attention, just put at Christopher or at Christopher Enoch in the live chat, and I will get to that. Jeremiah chapter 33. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah a second time while he was still shut up in the court of the prison. Thus says the Lord who made it, the Lord who formed it to establish it, the Lord is his name, called me. This is why he's, um, this is what I always quoted in some of my older videos. If you, um, you guys who have watched some of my older videos on YouTube, I, I normally I would end the video by saying, you know, call unto him and he will show you great and mighty things. And let me tell you, it's true. Okay. It's true. The Lord says, call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things, which you do not know. Mighty things, inaccessible things. In other words, secret things too. Okay. Inaccessible, mighty things. Wonderful, wonderful concept there. Verse four, for thus says the Lord, the God of Israel concerning the houses of this city and the houses of the kings of Judah, 
which have been pulled down to fortify against the siege mounds and the sword. They come to fight with the Chaldeans, but only to fill their places with the dead bodies of men whom I will slay in my anger and my fury, all for whose wickedness I have hidden my face from this city. Behold, I will bring it, I will bring it health and healing. I will heal them and reveal to them the abundance of peace and truth. And I will cause the, cap the captives of Judah and the captives of Israel to return. And I will rebuild those places as at the first. I will cleanse them from all their iniquity by which they have sinned against me. And I will pardon all their iniquities by which they have sinned and by which they have transgressed against me. Then it shall be to me a name of joy, a praise, and an honor before all nations of the earth who shall hear all the good that I, will, that I do to them. They shall fear and tremble for all the goodness and the, and the pros, uh, prosperity that I provide for it. Thus says the Lord, again, there shall be heard in this place of which you say it is desolate without man and without beast in the cities of Judah, in the streets of Jerusalem that are desolate without man and without inhabitant or and without beast. The voice of joy and the voice of gladness and the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the voice of those who will say, praise the Lord of hosts. For the Lord is good, for his mercy endures forever. There we are again. How many times do we, we, we read this uh, in, you know, um, in Kings? We read this in Psalms. And here again, we see this, the Lord is good, for his mercy endures forever. And of those who will bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord, for I will cause the captives of the land to return as at the first, says the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, in this place, which is desolate, without man, without beast, and in all its gates, excuse me, and in all its cities, there shall again be a dwelling place of shepherds causing their flocks to lie down. In the cities of the mountains, in the cities of the lowland, in the cities of the south, in the land of Ben, in the places around Jerusalem, and in the cities of Judah, the flocks shall again pass under the hands of him who counts them, says the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will perform that good thing which I promised to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause to grow up to David a branch of righteousness. Here we go again. Um, normally, this is understood especially in in the Christian world, this is understood to be another name for Yeshua, a branch, the branch. I will, I will cause uh, to grow up to David a branch of righteousness. He shall execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell in safely. Excuse me, and Jerusalem will dwell safely. And this is the name by which she will be called, the Lord our righteousness. Interesting that it doesn't say the branch will be called the Lord our righteousness, right? but it says Jerusalem will be called the Lord our righteousness. Hmm. Verse 17, for thus says the Lord, 
Lord, David shall lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel, nor shall the priests, the Levites, lack a man to offer burnt offerings before me, to kindle grain offering, grain offerings and to sacrifice continually. And the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, saying, Thus says the Lord, If you can break my covenant with, with the day and my covenant with the night, so that there will be there will not be day and night in their season, then my covenant may also be broken with David, my servant, so that he shall not have a son to reign on his throne and with the Levites, the priests, my ministers. Interesting. You know why this is interesting? Because, you know, so most Christians would say, yeah, yeah, this, amen to this. You know, that, you know, uh, David, my servant, shall not have, uh, the, you know, that there will be a, his son, i.e. Yeshua, to reign on the throne of David. But interesting that it also says Levites, priests and my ministers. Because in the Christian world, the Levites are done, right? They're done. It's like, you know, Jesus is our high priest now, right? Whereas this is interesting. It's like, if if you can break my covenant, let's just say this again. We'll read this again. God said, if the Lord said, if you can break my covenant with the day and my covenant with the night so that there will not be day and night in their season, then my covenant may be broken with David, my servant, so that uh, so that he shall not have a son to reign in on his throne and with the Levites, the priests, my ministers. Hmm. Interesting. Verse 22. As the hosts of heaven cannot be numbered, nor the sand of the sea measured, so will I multiply the descendants of David, my servant, and the Levites, again, we got them both together, who minister to me. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, saying, Have you not considered what these people have spoken, saying, The two families which the Lord has chosen, uh, he has also cut them off? Thus they have despised my people, as they should no more be a nation before them. Thus says the Lord, If my covenant is not with day and night, and if I have not appointed the ordinances of heaven and earth, then... I will cast away the descendants of Jacob and David, my servant, so that they will not take any of his descendants to be ruler, rulers over the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. For I will cause their captives to return and will have mercy on them. Last chapter before I get to your questions and comments in the live chat. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 34. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, when Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and all his army, all the kingdoms of the earth under his dominion, and all the people fought against Jerusalem and all its cities, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, so, or excuse me, go and speak to Zedekiah, king of Judah, and tell him, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will give this city into the hand of, of the king of Babylon, and he will burn it with fire, and you shall not escape from his hand but shall surely be taken and delivered into his hand. Your eyes shall see the eyes of the king of Babylon. He shall speak with you face to face, and you shall go to Babylon. 
Yet hear the word of the Lord, O Zedekiah, king of Judah. Thus says the Lord concerning you, you shall not die by the sword. You shall die in peace as in the ceremonies of your fathers, the former kings who were before you. So they shall burn incense for you and lament for you, saying, Alas, Lord. Pronounced the word, says the Lord. Then Jeremiah the prophet spoke all these words to Zedekiah, king of Judah in Jerusalem, when the king of Babylon's army fought against Jerusalem and all the cities of Judah that were left against Lachish and Azekah, for only these fortified cities remained of the cities of Judah. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord after, after King Zedekiah had made a covenant with all the people who were at Jerusalem to proclaim liberty to them. That every man should be uh, should set free his male and female slave, a Hebrew man or woman, that no one should keep a Jewish brother in bondage. Now, when all the princes and all the people who had entered into the covenant heard that everyone should set free his male and female slaves, that no one should keep them in bondage anymore, they obeyed and let them go. But afterward, they changed their minds and made the male and female slaves return whom they had set free and brought them into subjection as male and female slaves. Therefore, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I will make a covenant with your fathers in the day that I brought them, excuse me, I made a covenant with your fathers in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, saying, at the end of seven years, let every man set free his Hebrew brother who has been sold to him. And when he has served you six years, you shall let him go free from you. But your fathers did not obey me, nor incline their ear. By the way, let me just make this. Uh, this is interesting because you see the heart of God here in the law of God, that God doesn't want someone to be enslaved for like you know like the seventh year you should let let your um let your servant go free basically verse 15 then you re then you recently turned and did what was right in my sight every man proclaimed liberty to his neighbor God is a God of liberty. And you made a covenant before me in the house which is called by my name. Then you turned around and profaned profane my name. And every one of you brought back his male and female slaves whom you had set at liberty at their pleasure and brought them back into subjection to be your male and female slaves. Therefore, thus says the Lord, you have not obeyed me in proclaiming liberty everyone to his brother and everyone to his neighbor. Behold, I proclaim liberty to you, says the Lord, to the sword, to pestilence, and to famine, and I will deliver you to trouble, and I will deliver you to trouble among all the kingdoms of the earth, and I will give men who have transgressed my covenant, who have not performed the words of my covenant, which they made before me, when they cut the calf in two and passed between the parts of it, the princes of Judah, the princes 
of Jerusalem, the eunuch priests, and all the people of the land who passed between the parts of the calf, I gave, I will give them into the hand of their enemies and into the hand of those who seek their life. Their dead bodies shall be meat with meat for the birds of heaven and beasts of the feet of the earth. And I will give Zedekiah, king of Judah, and his princes into the hand of their enemies, into the hand of those who seek their life, and into the hand of the king of Babylon's army, which has gone back from you. Behold, I will command, says the Lord, and cause them to return to this city. They will fight against it and take it and burn it with fire. And I will make the cities of Judah a desolation without inhabitants. So that concludes our scripture reading for tonight. So let's see what we have here in the live chat. Wow, we have a lot. Um, yeah, so we have... I cannot... There's so much in the live chat again, okay? There's so much in the live chat. I cannot get to it all because it's gone. Uh, I, the software I have here only shows so many, so much. And the, the very earliest I see here is, is, are the live chats that you, that you guys submitted at um, 7.45 Eastern time. I see um, Rachel uh, said you should to Lenny Gurley. Um, you should send your questions to Christopher Enoch. Uh, welcome, Lenny Gurley. Good to see you. Um, let me see what we have here. If I can just go back and see what is what uh, Rachel is referring to. Lenny Gurley asked the question: Is it the law as as in us keeping the Ten Commandments? Yes. Um, so a lot of people say, well, there's like 613 laws and we have to obey all of them or else we're, you know, we're, uh, you know, we're considered to be in lawbreakers or whatever. That's just not true. Right. Um, first of all, according to, uh, uh, and one of the, one of the, um, uh, most, uh, popular Jewish websites on the internet. Uh, they say that there are even Jewish scholars who have, uh, uh, they have counted the laws themselves. They, at least they claim to have counted the laws and they say that 613 is not correct. Some would say it's more, some would say it's less. Okay. So they, they get that number from the Talmud, by the way. It's amazing how Christians take numbers from like this from the Talmud, whereas they reject the rest of the Talmud. I guess if they can use it for their advantage, they, they use it. But um, here's the deal when it comes to the, all these laws, okay? M most of these laws are not applicable to us because actually most of them are for the priests, for the Levites, okay? So I I assume that there are no Levites or priests uh, listening to this right now so that most of those laws wouldn't apply to us. It's the, the best way to look at it, the easiest way to understand this is like, it's like the law of the land. Like, I guess you would say the law of, the law of man, so to speak, the law of the land. Okay. So I have heard, like, just for example, I have heard, I didn't confirm this because I'm, I didn't count it and 
I'm not going to count it, but I've heard that there are over 4 million laws. Just for example, there are over 4 million laws in America alone. Over 4 million laws. And most people consider themselves to be law-abiding citizens. Does that mean they're obeying 4 million laws? Uh, no, it doesn't mean that. It just means they're obeying the laws that apply to them, right? I always say like, so if you, we talk, we spoke about riding bicycles earlier. So if you ride a bicycle down the street, you don't have to obey the laws of buses, right? So you're on a bicycle, you're not in a bus. So uh, if if you are, if you have a, you know, a, a driver's license, you know, to drive a you know, car, like normal, we call it normal driver's license, you don't have to worry about obeying the the laws of aviation, okay? You don't have to go to the end of the runway at your near, nearest airport and try, no, because, uh, you know, it's like, you know, that doesn't apply to you. So when you're walking down the street, you don't have to obey laws of farmers because if you're not a farmer, and it's, it's the same way with the Torah. There are many laws. Yes, there are. Um, not as many as what man makes, though. I mean, man makes, if there's over 4 million laws, if that's true, I wouldn't doubt it. Um, could be possibility. Then um, God's laws are very few, actually very few. Um, and of those very few laws, only very only a fraction of those few laws really apply to us. So to make it really, <laughs> sorry for making it, if this is a little bit complicated, but the bottom line is this. If, you know, of all the laws, if, if you can do it, do it, right? If, if, it, if it looks like, hey, I, it applies to me, I think I can do this, do it. Um, you know, there are laws for women, of course, that wouldn't apply to men. There are laws for farmers that wouldn't apply to those who are, you know, uh, that are not farmers, um, you know, even in the Torah and the Torah of God. So, yes, there are different laws for different people. And the Ten Commandments would apply to everyone, yes. Very good question, as always, Lenny Gurley. Thank you for asking. And, okay. Billy says, so what was the covenant made with Moses? Okay, so, I mean, okay, very good question, Billy. I just want to sort some things out here. Um, the covenant with Moses is exactly that. It's the, it's the covenant of the law on, on stone, okay? Um, that's the covenant that is spoken of by Paul in 2 Corinthians 3, 3. Now, let's not confuse that with the law of Moses. Because the covenant of Moses, again, is not the law of Moses. The law of Moses is something different. The law of Moses is God's law that applies to Moses. Um, we have what people, I, I kind of, you know, I, if you notice, I, I, I very rarely use these terms like law of Moses or law of Noah, because it's like, to me, it's like, it's, it's kind of confusing. And people, some people do this. It's like we have, you know, there's the law of Adam, there's the law of Abel, there's the law of Abraham, there's the law of Moses, there's the law of Noah. You know, uh, to make it again, to to make it as simple as possible, the law of God, as I see it, is is the Word of God, the eternal Word of God. It is forever settled in heaven. Uh, Psalm one nineteen verse eighty nine, forever settled in heaven. Uh, so we have the law of God 
as it were, and I always kind of try to illustrate this by, if you can imagine, it's like a cloud uh, that's up here. This is the Torah, okay? And so Adam is created. So uh, the law that applies to him in his situation, he draws that from the Torah. He downloads that, if, as it were, from the Torah. That apply, the, the, the Torah that applies to him, he got it. Um, same with Abel. Same with Noah. Okay, it's from the, it's the same law. It's the same Torah. It's the it's the same. It's just because they're in different circumstances, they're different people. It's different laws, so to say, if you know what I mean. Like for example, a Adam didn't need laws about you know uh, governing the nation because he didn't have a nation. I do believe though that that concept, that that principle, as it were existed in as you know it was part of the eternal torah it's just that it it was it, it wasn't needed to be applied uh that that concept as it were existed in the character of god like this is this is how i want a nation to run um but you know of course adam didn't have a nation so he wouldn't have, he wouldn't need that now moses on the other hand he did have a nation he had a whole nation that he had to he had to lead and, um, you know, so, so he got that law from the Torah. Like he, he pulled that, he got that from that eternal Torah. Uh, you know, so, um, it's the same law to me. It's the same law. Just it, the law, the law of Moses is basically the Torah as applied to Moses. The law of the, the law of Noah is the Torah. It's the same Torah as applied to Noah. Um, again, it's almost like as we were speaking earlier, like we have the law of riding bicycles on city streets, whereas the law of riding, of driving cars, a law of driving buses, a law of streetcars and law of pedestrians, you know, it's the same law. It's, it's the same source. It's the same authority. It's the same law book, so to speak. It's just different laws for different people. So we got the laws of Noah and the laws of Moses and so on and so forth. So, um, yeah, so that's that's the difference between the law of Moses. The law of Moses would be the Torah, basically God's instructions for him uh, to lead the nation, whereas the law of Noah would be the, would be God's instructions for Noah to <laughs> to build a nation, so to speak, or to you know to populate the earth and so on and so forth. Um, you know, and so uh, that's. Uh, you know, the covenant of Moses is that law, so to speak, written on stone. And uh, again, the new covenant is that same law, you know, as applied to us. Perhaps not, you know, again, not all, not all of the laws that came, that applied to Moses would apply to us. Um, again, because a lot of those laws are Levite, Levitical, uh, are only for the Levites, only for the priests, and so on and so forth. So, um that's the difference between the law of Moses and the covenant of Moses. Thanks for asking, Billy. Awesome question. BB says, uh, Shalom and blessing, Christopher Enoch and all. Shalom and blessing multiplied to you as well, BB. And, and Will, if Will's listening as well. So welcome, welcome as always. Loving kindness, 
How do we increase awareness of the presence of Christ during tribulation and sufferings? Uh, so reading the scriptures, prayer, um, worshiping, um, singing to, to, the, to the Lord, being, and sometimes it's just, a, it's just a matter of just kind of being aware that, you know, being aware of the presence of God. So practicing the presence. Uh, I know it's it can be it may be tough during tribulations and sufferings, but uh, another thing is too, as we're reading through the scriptures, uh, we've been doing this for several months now. It's it's so it's so evident that God is God is there anyway. God know that God is on the throne. He is you know he's 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 still on his throne. He didn't fall off, and so just to trust God, to trust that wherever whatever may be happening, that you can trust God through it. You know, and that perhaps God is even trying to teach us some things through this, trying to mold us, mold our character, as it says in the New Testament, that some of these sufferings, they produce a good character. Uh, and so to to keep that in mind and to always to see God in everything. Consider jo Joseph, right? The story of Joseph where he, you know, he, he had some bad things that was dealt him, you know, in his life. He was, um, he was basically beaten and left, you know, for dead, basically by his own brothers, by his own family, um, left for dead, basically, or sold to the, you know, you know, sold off as a slave, um, and just, and then he was framed, <laughs> uh, and so he went through a lot of, a lot of, a lot, but. Even in prison for what was it, fourteen years, I believe it was. Uh, but through it all, he saw God in it all, and he trusted that God, in His time, would see him through it all. So uh, that's part of it as well. Loving kindness, very good question. Thank you for asking. Caballero uh, with a super chat of twenty dollars. Thank you very much, Caballero. Much appreciated. Thank you very much. Um, uh, thank you for all your hard work and dedication. Please know that it's very much appreciated. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate you. As I always say, I appreciate you, brother. And uh, I appreciate the super chat. Thank you. Blessings. Blessings multiplied to you. Okay. So at this time, I do not see any more in the live chat that is labeled at Christopher. If... If I have not read your question, my apologies. Uh, it's it's only because I have not seen it because of the limitations of my software here. And so, um, if I if you know, I, I read every every question that I saw. Um, if you don't mind, if I missed your question or if you didn't ask yet and you have a question, excuse me. Um, please submit it, submit it in the live chat right now, uh, at Christopher, just put at Christopher in the live chat. That would help me to find it. Blake, we have discussed clean and unclean foods. If one is starving, uh, should they eat what is available? Uh, yeah, someone asked me this question before. I remember this. 
Um, well, let me put it this way. I have never heard of such a thing. I have never heard of someone who only had pigs available or something like that, and they didn't have anything else, especially a believer. Um, I, I would highly, I mean, it's a very good question, Blake. Um, I think it's a good question. There's a lot of you know hypothetical questions we could ask, but I think really, I think that this is a situation that just probably would not arise. You know, it says in the scriptures, you know, I have never seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. Um, so, I mean, once we're right with God and he sees that we're, that we want to, you know, do our best to do what he wants us to do, I think that he will see us through. And, um, I think that the, the, the situation, you know, I think that the situation, that kind of situation, um, may not arise because of that. Um, I would trust God to begin with that God was, would not put you in the situation and say, Hey, you know what? All I have to eat, you know, is, you know, if I don't eat these, uh, you know, snakes or something like that, I'm not, I'm not going to survive. Um, I just, I never heard it happening. And so because it's like, it's, it's unheard of, I don't think it's something we have to worry about. I don't think that, you know, I think that if we're, if we're righteous, at least doing our best to, to do what God wants us to do and trusting in him, I, I think that we'll be okay without that, um, you know, with, without ever, without ever facing that situation. Um, those are my thoughts on it, Blake. Again, it's a very good question. Thank you for asking. Billy says, um, thank you for answering. So am I in covenant with the Lord? If so, what is that covenant? So um, this is something really I, I you know, uh, I can't really judge who's in the covenant or not. I mean, I assume you are, Billy. I mean, the way you're, you're here with you, you're with with everyone else. So I, I think you, I think that's a great sign. Um, if you have, um, it, again, I, 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 I don't, I don't have any reason to think you, you, you're not in this category. But I'm just saying, like, if you are um, someone who has, you know, ded dedicated their life to, to God, dedicated their life to the Lord. You put all your old ways behind you. You know, you've turned from all sin that you, that you can possibly, you know, to the best of your ability, you turn to him, you, you, you trust in him. Um, that would be it. That would be, uh, you know, you would enter into to the covenant. You would be part at that point in time. You are part of Israel. You know, you, you have joined you have joined, you know, the, uh, you've joined the, the, the people of God. So yeah, that's, that's what I would say. Um, anybody who is, who's has a, has a heart for God, anybody who has, a, a dedicated their life to the Lord, who, uh, you know, who, who trusts in God calling out uh, to him, um, 
who identifies, you know, with the with the cross, identifies with the crucifixion. I, I would say that is uh, that is definite, uh, um, sure signs of of being in covenant with the Lord. And I would say that covenant is the new covenant. That covenant is the new covenant. Thanks for being Billy again. Awesome question. Laura says, did you get the funny stories? I did, Laura. I actually responded to that. Um, I hope you got the response. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Um, excellent stuff. It's like, um, it's like, uh, yeah, like I think you said that it was like um, some of these stories, the name is, the, la the, na the name is kind of uh, left me here now. What is it? Dr. Seuss, right? It's like that. Awesome. Wonderful gift. Absolutely. Thank you, Laura. Definitely will be will be enjoyed for sure. You can you can you can you can trust that for sure. Um, Matthew, this, this is these kind of questions are always tough questions because it's a tough thing. Uh, is believing in the Trinity wrong? You see, this is the thing, right? You got people who believe in the Trinity, and there are different flavors of, the, of this doctrine as well. There are people who believe in the Trinity as to say, oh, I believe in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but I believe the Father is, is, is God. He is the, he is the supreme God. You know, um, you know that's different than, than people who would say, well, God, or, you know, that Jesus is, you know, uh, equal with in all ways, and you know that uh, this kind of thing. So, um, and that it, it's a, it's a it's a complicated topic because of so many people having so so many different views on what the Trinity is. I would say that the way to look at it, the way to look at this whole um, topic of the Trinity is really not even see the word trinity per se is not even in the scriptures right so and i know people would argue well the concept is there you know in the in the writings of paul and in the in in uh, the epistle or the gospel of john okay um now we have done videos before about the gospel of john maybe sometime in the future we'll do a more exhaustive video about that um and the Trinity is something that didn't come really officially into the church until um, Tertullian, the days of Tertullian, uh, which was much later, much, it was much later than, you know, the so-called New Testament church. You don't, you don't see that kind of thing in the book of Acts per se. Um, so I would say the best way to look at it is that God is a spirit, right? And the Father, God, it, the Father is God. So then the Father is a spirit. And Yeshua or Jesus is that prophet. If you, like we got Deuteronomy chapter 18, the prophet. Um, and we have Isaiah chapter 53, the more of an, an atonement kind of um, passage. We have the Messiah. 
um, part as well in the, in, the, in the book of Psalms. So I would say that to look at it, the, the best way to look at it is that Yeshua is the perfect reflection of his father. So that when you see him, you see the father, so to speak, like just like how you you would say, hey, you know, I, you know, there's a, you know, there is a family next door. Right. And, and, and there's this little there's this young boy. And every time I see this boy, I think of his father or every time I see this boy, I see his father, so to speak, because he looks so much like his father or he acts so much like or he talks so much like his father, you know. Um, and so in that sense, I believe that Yeshua was a perfect reflection of the Father. Yeshua himself didn't say, worship me. He said, when you pray, say, our Father. Um, you know, so he taught us, he taught his disciples, and we learned from that how to pray, which is he directed everybody to the Father. You know, say, I'm here to glorify the Father. Um, you know, when you pray, say, our Father. Uh, so, you know, I think that he is the prophet spoken of in Deuteronomy chapter 18. He's the prophet that everyone should listen to, and we should get our doctrine from him. Uh, any other doctrine that opposes the doctrine of Yeshua, any other doctrine that opposes the doctrine of Jesus is bad doctrine. Um, but the Trinity doctrine can be confusing at best. And I, as you know, I don't talk about it that much because of that fact. It's confusing. A lot of people don't understand it. And it's, and a lot of times it can bring a lot of reproach upon uh, Christianity as well because you have, you know, like other people that don't understand it. And you, then you have the Jewish uh, community and the Muslim com community. They're quite offended with some of these people that say, oh, you know, you're saying that Jesus is God. Like he is God. You know, so, um, yeah, it's a big, su it's a big subject. It's a big subject. Uh, again, uh, I've spoken about it m several times, many times actually in the past. And, uh, actually, you know what? It, it, it really deserves its own video. It really deserves its own video. Um, I, I would, I would echo what Jesus himself taught. When you pray, say our Father. And I don't believe that Jesus is the Father. I'm not a oneness guy. I don't believe that Jesus is the Father. Okay. I believe that Jesus is a son of the Father, right? Um, I don't believe he is the Father, like the same person kind of thing. Um, yeah, so again, without getting very deep in that, Matthew... Um, yeah, I hope that helps. It's a very complicated issue, topic. Thank you for asking, Matthew. Blake says, I get that, I get that question a lot. Uh, just wanted to ask. I personally follow clean eating regimen. Uh, I believe people fear the worst in end times. Yeah. I think when it comes to the end times, we should be like the um the wise virgins right we should be prepared at all times not like the foolish virgins right the the foolish virgins were like 
Ah, he said uh, he he said I'd be a long time. Or he said I'd be no. He said they're like I know it doesn't say this in the in the parable, but I can just imagine. They're like, oh, he said he'll be back soon. Why do we need oil? Why do we need to prepare as if he's going to be a long time? He didn't say he'll be a long time. He said he'll be back soon. Therefore, we don't need to prepare. We'll just take him, again, hyper-literal, right? The hyper-literal crowd. And of course, ever since, ever since, you know, uh, uh, the times of Yeshua, uh, all the way till today, 2000, nearly 2,000 years of it, um, People have been, everybody believed they were in the last, the end times. Everybody has believed that. And then you get the date setters. And the date setters are always wrong. Always wrong. Yeah, so uh, very good, Blake. Thanks, thanks again. Yeah, Laura says, um, when you are tempted, he will provide a way out. But that's that's Paul isn't it? Oops. Um, yeah, uh, but I do believe, yeah, I, I believe that um, unless you're in a really bad spot with, I mean, a, a, unless God has really got, you know, he's got his, you know, you're on his bad side really bad. I think that you're, you're, you're going to find a way. You, I mean, God is going to give you a way out no matter what. Billy asked this question. This did not have uh, at Christopher in it, so I, I almost lost it there, Billy. Uh, I'm not sure if you wanted me to answer this or not, but um, and there's another one there I see from An Anbu, if I can, if I'm pronouncing that uh, correctly. Anbu Doc, is everything Paul says true? Okay, now I'm going to get to I'll get to you, uh, Anbu, in just a moment. Billy T asked the question. So where did baptism originate? Pre Christ? Yes, pre Christ. Yes. Um, the whole thing about baptism did not start with John the Baptist. That's for sure. We have, um, they have dug up archeological evidence of baptismal tanks, as it were, per se, mikvah. Uh, the mikvah uh, in the Hebrew, or in, the Jew, in the Jewish community, we call them mikvahs, okay? They have dug up uh, mikvahs that predate Don, um, John the Baptist, right? So that means that, John the Baptist was not the first to uh, to baptize. In fact, uh, we see that kind of thing going going all the way back to the Torah. The whole idea of washing in the Torah is kind of like a baptism thing, um, and that whole really the whole idea uh, originates in creation as God created the earth out of water. And then again, he destroyed the earth with water and, you know, and in the days of Noah. Um, and so that was like the baptism of the, of the earth there. Uh, and so the idea is, you know, right from there and then kind of uh, reflected again, or uh, it's redundant in the, um, in the Torah as well with the washing and that kind of thing. So, so yeah, it goes way back, way, way back. It's, it's certainly not something that has popped up in the past. 2000 years it, it it definitely goes way back excellent question there billy thank you for asking and again anbu doc says is everything paul is everything paul says true um it depends on how you interpret it i always say uh there are there there are the people out there first of all let me just let me just make it 
clear, Paul never claimed to be perfect. He never claimed that everything that he said was 100% from God. He didn't. He never claimed that. In fact, uh, let me show you something here. Um, I'm going to pull this up. This is... First Corinthians chapter seven. I'll show you. First Corinthians chapter seven. Okay, this is Paul speaking. Um, so I mean, even in this portion here, he says, To the rest, I say this, I not the Lord. Then he goes on to explain, you know, some stuff. So he it's very, very clear here what he said is not the Lord's word here. I say this, not the Lord is saying this. Now, that doesn't mean that it's not true, okay? Um, a lot of people say things that are not directly from God. They're not prophesying, but it's still true. Um, and a lot of people say that they've heard from God when they, it's not, that's not true either. Uh, Paul is, is, is uh, I like the way that Dr. Staples put it. Uh, Paul is a better thinker than a than a writer. Because of his writing style, most people understand him to 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 say things that are against all of the rest of Scripture. For example, just an example. Most people understand Paul to say that the law is ended. Christ is the end of the law. You know. Uh, the righteousness of the law is, you know, is against the righteousness of faith. Therefore, we don't, nobody can be, nobody can be declared righteous by the law. We have to be righteous by faith. All this kind of stuff. Most people understand Paul to say that the Torah is obsolete now. Now all we have to do is just, obey, just, just believe in Jesus. That's it. If that's what he meant then yes, he's wrong, okay? Why? Because it says scores of times, and I'm not exaggerating when I say scores of times. Literally, scores of times, God said that his law is forever to be, you know, to be observed forever, forever, you know, um, his His law, his statutes, his ordinances, you know, his, his, his precepts are perpetual, to all generations. So, you know, God made it very clear um, that it is forever. So Paul doesn't have the authority to come around and say, oh yeah, God says forever, but I guess he must have forgot. I guess he did. I, he, didn't ever, he never thought about what was, you know, I guess he, he forgot about the New Testament coming. So, you know, um, here's the thing, uh, Anbu, here's the thing. Um, most people most people but think that everything Paul says is true because he's included in the Bible. Nowhere and I know a lot of a lot of people this will short circuit a lot of people's doctrines and brains and everything, but I'll say it anyway. Nowhere did God ever tell anybody to put Paul in the Bible. Nowhere. Uh, in fact, the thing that uh, 
In fact, um, the only person that actually, the first person who put Paul in the Bible actually was, was Marcion, which was a guy who was renounced as a, as a heretic. Um, and even more so, I mean, they, he was really considered to be a very, very evil man. Um, and he initially put Paul in the Bible actually. So, and, 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 in the sense that he started the New Testament and put Paul in, he was the one that actually put Paul in the New Testament, and then it just kind of grew from there. So um, it's a question, Anbu, that requires, again, a lot of, it's a huge, I cannot answer that fully in one night. Uh, if you're If you're honestly looking for the answer to that, I would highly recommend you uh, you listen to our past videos. Go back in the replay and listen to a lot of videos. We talk about a lot of things that Paul said. I actually went through every single word of Paul's letters uh, over the past uh, several years. I went through every single word that he wrote, uh, and then some. And Lord willing, perhaps even this year, Lord willing, we'll do it again. Um, but you know, I would I would highly recommend you go and and do that. Keep in mind that Paul is not a prophet. He never claimed to be a prophet. In other words, he never claimed to be like always speaking the word of God. Never claimed to be a prophet. He claimed to be an apostle, but not a prophet. There's a, there's a difference there. Thank you, Anbu. Let's see what else we have here. Brother Pete, sounds like a sounds like a it sounds like a a trick question here. What year of the world is it? Um, well, that's a big. I'm not sure what you mean by that. Like, uh, how long has it been since creation, or how uh, how long has it been since Adam, or what is the Hebrew? What's the real Hebrew um, year? You know. Um, and that really is hard to answer because of the, the great discrepancies between the, the manuscripts. You know, we have the Masoretic, and then we have the Septuagint, we're, we're hundreds of years off. We have the Samaritan. Um, so that's very hard to answer. I can't really give you a specific answer on that kingdom concepts. I don't know if anybody could, to be honest with you. I don't know if anybody could could answer that with with uh, with any you know hundred percent certainty. Maybe you know being fairly certain, but very good question. Yeah, um, kingdom concepts. You know, this is something else too as well. Talking about Paul's writings again, I don't really put too much stock in those writings. I do what Yahuwah. Um, yeah, so I, I get that. So people need to understand as well that every church that I know of, maybe not every church, but everyone that I've ever been to has um, has touted themselves, has built themselves as a Book of Acts church. But the Book of Acts church didn't have the letters of Paul. They preached all of their sermons from the Tanakh. Their, their text was the Tanakh. The text of the true New Testament Book of Acts church 
is Tanakh and Tanakh only. That's the text. That's their text. It wasn't Paul's letters. It wasn't the Roman road, Roman road of salvation. It wasn't Ephesians 2.8 or 2.6. So that's a very good point. Um, Kingdom Concept says, yes, Pharisees, Seder, Olam has it as 57.82. I think we are around year 60-63. Yeah, like I said, it's hard. It's it's hard for me. It's hard for me to tell because of the, all the different variations in manuscripts. So yeah, it says maybe it's less or more. Yeah, I would say that. Yeah, I would say the same thing for sure. And this is this is a good con. This is good too as well, Laura. None of the prophets even knew they were prophets. You know what? Like that's a good point because you see, Isaiah never said, "Hi, I'm Prophet Isaiah." All right, Jeremiah never said, hi, I'm I'm Prophet Jeremiah. Um, prophet Jeremiah writes to the, you know, to the world, you know. Uh, no, uh, and this is the thing, too. If anybody claims to be a prophet, I mean, you got people today, you, you, I'm sure we all heard, we know, or we at least heard of this kind of thing where people call themselves Prophet John, you know, Prophet Ted, you know, all these different things. Um, so... Anybody who calls himself a prophet, to me, that pretty much already disqualifies them as a prophet. <laughs> uh, prophet is a big name. I mean, it's a it's a big title to be touting around, and I think prophets are typically humble. Uh, they don't do that. So, very good, uh, very good point there, Laura. So for a girl said, that is a lie, Christopher. Marcy was chopping Paul's writings in Luke. Uh, he absolutely did not put Paul in the Bible. Google it. Um, let me be more specific, okay? I mean, it seems like we're, we're trying to split hairs here. So church history tells us, multiple sources tell us, we had a scholar on here earlier that also echoed this as well. Um, it's it's pretty much common knowledge in the scholarly world that the New Testament began with Marcion. That's how it began. And it began with Marcion, with Luke and Paul. Yes, so yes, he selectively puts, you know, he was selective with some of the passages of Paul. I mean, Paul, Luke especially. And he, it's, it's interesting that Marcion used most the letters of Paul that he used are the letters that that scholars say are the authentic letters of Paul, not the pastoral epistles, which most scholars would tell you are not written by Paul, such as Timothy and Philemon and you know these kind of letters like that that are in the name of Paul but not really written by Paul. Um, but when I say that Marcion put Paul in the Bible, I mean that he was the one who started the ball rolling, and. As far as I see, and I've checked multiple sources, again, I've interviewed a scholar right on this live stream. As far as I see and what I've read for years, I've read this for years so far, girl. Marcion was the one who started the whole thing about, hey, we're going to start, we'll put everything in the old, all the Tanakh, we're gonna, you know, that's Old Testament. We're going we're gonna to have our own Bible canon, New Testament. Paul is the man. 
Paul's the guy uh, with Luke, right? So again, I know he was selective. You know, he was edited a little bit here and there, sure. Um, But that's where it started. Uh, It did not start with God speaking to James or Peter or John or, or even Paul or anybody. It started with what they called in those days the son of Satan who chose Paul and considered himself to be a, um, a disciple of Paul. And just like actually I'm reading a book right now about how the Gnostics consider Paul to be their man as well. You know, Tertullian said that Paul is, he called Paul the, the apostle of the heretics. Um, I'm just, I'm telling you the facts. I'm telling you the facts. It's, it's the facts. Um, the only people who have a problem with this are the people who idolize the New Testament. New Testament canon. That's not even really of God at all, really. I mean, New Testament canon is not of God. It's, it was put together by man. Uh, starting with Marcion and down through the ages till today, it was, you know, many, many different edits we have. I mean, look at the Codex Sinaiticus. They had the um, Epistle of Barnabas and they had the Shepherd of Hermas that was included in the New Testament as well. Uh, and, you know, as it, you know, as it goes, you know, the uh, Roman Catholic Church edited out, talk about editing out, they took out the uh, second Esdras, uh, of course, the Protestant, um, uh, because of Protestant influence, they, they started printing Bible without uh, Apocrypha in it. And stuff. What, what they've done is, starting with Marcion, Marcion started with, you know, Luke and Paul, okay? And it seems like this is what happens. A lot of so-called believers, as evil as they are, they like Paul. And they use Paul to, to justify their works, and this is what happened with Marcion. So he loved Paul. He was a self-proclaimed disciple of Paul. And he started the New Testament canon. And throughout, you know, over the course of a couple hundred years, they added to that, you know, they added First John and, you know, Second John, Third John. They added uh, Jude. They added, you know, Revelation. They added all these other ones into it. Um, including the Shepherd of Hermas, including the Epistle of Barnabas, and others. So by the time you got to the 4th century, there was, it was a big canon. It was, it was a lot of books um, in the Bible. And from that time on, man was whittling away these books, carving out their own idol. It's called bibliolatry. It's the idolatry of a book. They're, they are doing everything they can possibly do to, f- to fashion a perfect book so they can worship it and call it the perfect book. If God wanted a perfect book, he would write it himself and, and give it to us. He would send an angel. If God wanted a perfect book, that would have been one of the, one of the primary missions of Jesus when he was here on earth, to write a book. He didn't. Why? I believe it's because he knew if he wrote a book, it would be idolized. And he isn't, he's not into idolatry. He, he has purposefully 
made it so that there are many, many errors in the scriptures, many, many variations. It's no, uh, it's no secret. There are, they say, three to four hundred thousand variations only just in the New Testament alone, not, not counting the Old Testament. Just the New Testament alone. Like three, four hundred thousand variations, mistakes. Some of them, most of them, most of them hardly, most of them doesn't really mean a lot, just spelling mistakes or, you know, this kind of thing. Um, word order, something that really doesn't mean much, but some of them are. Some of them are very, very, um, very significant. So, yeah, the whole idea of canon is not, is started out on the wrong note, started out with Marcion. Before that, it was, the books of the Bible were kept separately from each other, and that's the way I believe God really initially intended it to be, and still wants it to be. I'm not going to condemn anybody for having Bibles because I have I have Bibles all I have Bibles all over the place. Everywhere I look here is Bibles. So I'm not going to condemn everybody for having Bibles. I'm just saying when you look at a Bible, I mean, we should not look at it as if, oh, this is a perfect book. We should look at it as if this is a library of different books written by different authors at different times in different contexts with different different levels of authority. Some of them have great authority, like the, like the Torah does, like the Torah, and some of them have very little authority, like Paul, for example. Um, if he had great authority, then the he wouldn't have been treated like he was in the book of Acts by the disciples, which they didn't give, the disciples did not give Paul much, any say, really, in anything. Why? Because he didn't have the authority. He was just somebody who came in after the fact, like he's, a, you know, as they call Johnny come lately, like, hey, where were you the past three and a half years when we were walking and talking with Jesus, when we actually got trained by Jesus? I mean, then you come in afterwards. Okay, well, you can come in, but you're staying in the back, buddy. You're staying in the back. You're not speaking. You don't have the you don't have the uh, you don't have the the authority to do that. Uh, Paul said himself, "I'm not saying anything." I believe that what I'm saying right now, Paul would be Paul would be giving me the thumbs up, going, "Yeah, amen to that," because so many people worship me, so many people worship me. See, like First Corinthians chapter fifteen, verse three. For this is what Paul said. These are the words of Paul. For what I received, I passed on to you, as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. What scriptures? We don't know. Uh, that he was buried and that he. Raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. Again, what scriptures he was referring to, we don't know. And that he appeared to Cephas, Peter, and then to the twelve. Again, he's not including himself in the twelve. He, he speaks of the twelve as a third party, which he is a third party. Uh, after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers. So again, so first the twelve, right? The twelve has way more authority than anybody else, of course. And then the 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, some had fallen. Then he appeared to James, and then to the, all the apostles. And last of all, poor little, he appeared to me also as one abnormally born. Why does he say that? Because he came in too late. Jesus didn't 
didn't call him to be part of the 12, he missed the bus, right? He missed the bus. For I am the least of all the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. So people who are supposed to be Bible believers, they read that and what do they say? Oh, he's the best. He's the greatest of all the apostles. They say the opposite to what the Bible actually says. The Bible says he's the least of all the apostles. They look at it and go, oh, that means he's the best. <laughs> that means he's the, he's the greatest. Uh, so far, girl says this, Marcy and Bo, he's lying. Look it up yourself. Um, no, <laughs> I do not believe I'm lying again. I'm sure you can find people who deny it. I'm sure you will. Absolutely. Especially Paul worshipers, for sure. People who think that Paul is like their prophet. Absolutely. You know, you will. Definitely. They'll deny it. People deny everything, right? So you're going to find people who deny it. Yes. What I would highly recommend, instead of using words such as lying, as if you know everything, what I highly recommend is that people actually look it up and check the source. Is this is this source a real good knowledgeable source? Or is this somebody who's just trying to cover up their poly, polyanity? Is this just is this somebody trying to cover up their idolatry, their idolatry of Paul? Is this are they really speaking evidence? Is it real evidence here? Is it real evidence? Or is it somebody who's just trying to justify their their Paul worship. Um, I look at Paul for what he really was, historically speaking, objectively speaking. Yeah, he said some things that are good. I always refer to them. He says some things that at the very least are questionable. He never said that he's perfect. And I think if any, he never said he's infallible. And so I think to anybody who says that, he's not God. Paul's not God. Paul's not the Messiah. I mean, you got you got people who, I mean, like there's a lot of things. Even, even this, even this chapter I have open right here in front of me. Like just, just, just saying. First Corinthians, we just read this, but just... You know how important it is for people in the Christian world to believe in the bodily resurrection of Jesus, right? Most Christians would say, especially, you know, conservative evangelical Christians would say that it is of utmost importance. It's like, it's a salvation issue. If you do not believe in a natural bodily resurrection of Jesus, then you are damned to hell. That's what they would say. I know because I've been there. I've been to churches like that, okay? Um, however, there are people that say, hey, Paul preached the opposite here. You know, for, like for example, 1 Corinthians 15, 42. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead? The body is sown perishable, it's raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. What happened? So this is not 
So see, people read this and they say, look it, this is not a bodily resurrection. This is a spiritual resurrection. Paul is saying, Paul is not saying there's a bodily resurrection. Paul does not preach a bodily resurrection here. The bodily, the natural, the physical body. No, it's a spiritual body to be resurrected according to him. Like, don't just the person's spirit will, will be resurrected. Okay. Now I know there's different interpretations of this, but I'm just saying, just saying. This is a good example. Staring, I mean, we can go through, I have went through every word that Paul wrote and then some. We can do it. And there are lots like this. The thing is, we got to put aside our ipolatry, our bibliolatry, our idolatry of the New Testament canon. We got to look at it for what it really is. Okay, It's a library of texts compiled by men. And we should do exactly what Acts chapter 17 tells us to do. Actually, uh, we should do exactly what the Bereans, the men of Berea did in Acts chapter 17, which they were praised for doing it. They were not condemned. They were not called out by God. They were not said, well, these were evil men. These were lying men or whatever. What did they do? Paul personally came there. Paul personally came to them. What did they do? Did they go, oh, the greatest apostle ever, ever alive comes to, comes to speak to us. Oh, Paul. Oh, Paul. Everything you say is 100%. Oh, everything you say is perfect, Paul. Please, please, preach to me, Paul, because everything is perfect, you say, because you're infallible, because you have the Spirit of God, because the Spirit of God, because you're, because you're inspired. No. They said, Paul, we'll hear you out. We'll listen to you. We're going to test everything you say. We're going to put you to the test. Every concept you bring forth, everything you teach, we are going to put it through the fire to see if it stands. So it says in Acts chapter 15 that they search the scriptures daily to see whether or not the things that Paul said was true. What scriptures did they use back then? What scriptures did they have? The New Testament wasn't even written. New Testament didn't exist. Again, didn't exist until Marcion, basically. The New Testament didn't exist. What did they have? They had the Tanakh. They had the Tanakh. So I, I say do what they did. They're honorable men. They are they were considered to be noble men of Berea. They got the title of honorable, noble. Hey, you want that title? Maybe you should do what they did. Go through the letters of Paul. Don't, don't, don't believe anything Paul said until you test it with the Tanakh, with this so-called Old Testament. Is anything in here? What, is, is what Paul says here, is it true? Let's see if it's in the Tanakh. If it's in the Tanakh, it's true. If it lines up with that, it's true. If not, forget it. Paul's just another man, another brother. You know, let's, let's make it, let's put him in a better, uh, he's just, he's, a, he's another brother. F 
Thousands of people got saved in the Bible without Paul. One of the greatest baptismal services ever in history, right? When they baptized 3,000 in the book of Acts, that was before Paul came on the scene. That's New Testament church. No Paul. Don't need Paul. Paul is not the Messiah. Let me ask a question. To those of you who are listening to this, and if you, uh, you still say that Paul is like the most important figure in the, in the Gentile world, let me ask a question. This is a serious question. I'd like an answer. Christians say that Jesus was prophesied over 300 times in the Old Testament. I actually have a chart around here that has 300 and some odd prophecies in it, right? So they say, okay, Jesus was prophesied over 300 times, like every aspect of his life. Can you imagine somebody writing down 3,000 points about you? No, I mean, not 3,000, 300, excuse me. Did I say 3,000 before? 300 prophecies of Jesus in the Old Testament. Excuse me, guys. I know it's getting late here. I'm a little bit tired. So I'm um, going to be wrapping this up soon, by the way. But I got, a, I got a really, really honest and important question about to those of you who are listening and you believe that Paul is inerrant, infallible, and he is the only and greatest apostle to all Gentiles. If that's you, listen up. I'm going to paint a, give you a background here. Most Christians say that Jesus was prophesied over 300 times in the, in the Old Testament. That's a lot. It's like almost every detail of his life, figuratively, generally speaking. I mean, can you imagine someone writing, sitting, sitting down and writing 300 facts about you? That's a lot. Like, that's a lot. That's pretty much everything. And then some. Jesus prophesied 300 times in the Old Testament. How many times was Paul prophesied in the Old Testament? Honest question. Could you please pre pre present to me, you know, they always say two or three witnesses. Give me, give me three verses of the Old Testament where Paul was prophesied. If he was such a savior, almost, pretty much, to the Gentiles, the apostle to the Gentiles, the greatest man who ever lived, apart from Jesus, basically. This is how Christians look at it. If he was that important, he would certainly have how many prophecies? They say that James has a prophecy about James in the Bible. Okay? Prophecy about James. That's, that's James, right? Most Christians would say, oh, Paul is way greater than James, which is not true, by the way. It's the opposite. James is way greater than Paul, by the way. Uh, but if you think that Paul was so great, there are over 300 prophecies in the Bible, they say, about Jesus, and at least one prophecy about James. How many prophecies about Paul? I would really like to have an answer. If Paul is so important, he definitely would be prophesied about. If he's like the New Testament apostle, I mean, we have the New Testament being prophesied. Where, where's, where's he? Where? So far, girl says, thou shalt not lie, Christopher. Um, again, what I say 
I certainly do not believe that it's any anywhere's near a lie. In fact, I believe very much so that what I said is a hundred percent true. And again, you do your re- you do your research. There are multiple sources, credible sources that would tell you exactly what I told you. Biblical scholarship agree on what I told you. Even historians agree on what I tell. Even Christian historians agree on what I just told you. But you 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 accuse me of of lying without providing any evidence whatsoever. Uh, that's not loving. That's not loving. It says, "Thou shalt love your neighbors yourself." Would it be loving if I publicly tell you that you're a liar without producing any evidence whatsoever? And that's a that's that's one of the greatest commandments, right? Well, it just goes to prove what I say. A lot of people are so in love with with Paul. You even you even question Paul. This is what I've been saying for a long time. You even these people are so idolatrous. You even question Paul. They go crazy. Actually, they go even more crazy. They get more offended if you question Paul than if you question Jesus. It's the truth. If you say, "Well, I, I, I don't, I don't think, Je- I think what Jesus said here is not exactly true," they're not going to give you as much time, as much promise. If you say, "Oh, Paul, you know, Galatians chapter three is is just just garbage." If you say that, they're going to go. Hair up on end. Yeah, you know what? Like, I'm not here to, 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 with any of it, agenda. You know, I would say just if, if you don't agree with what I'm saying, or if you question what I'm saying, fine. I mean, just look it up yourself. I, I just say, check the sources. Check the sources. Check the bias of these sources. Are these, you know, sources that are very, very, you know, idolatrous and loving of Paul. Yeah, they'll bend over backwards to tell you a lie about Paul or about Marcion to cover up their poly polyanity and their and their idolatry. It's for sure. So far, girl says I'm out, and Kingdom Concepts says bye. Let's see what else I have here. If you guys have any specific questions. Brick Train says, do you believe, do you think that Satan is a persona or a conscious being, living entity, and why? Also, very important, you must confess Jesus is the Son of God to go to heaven, or you will. <laughs> oh. It says for the, okay. The last part you said for the great deception. Um, to answer your question, I think it's pretty clear, right? Um, let, let me just let me just say this, okay? Satan literally means adversary. So you can you can say that you can have an abstract thing that's ad, that's an adversary. But normally, when I say Satan, normally when people say Satan, they're talking about the devil, okay? Um, because like Satan can be. The word Satan actually is a transliteration of the Hebrew, 
Hasatan, uh, the Satan, which simply means the adversary, which could which which could mean the devil or something else or so somebody else. Okay, literally speaking, I'm being I'm being super literal here. Okay, but when I say Satan, and normally when people say Satan, they're talking about the devil, and so the devil um, is definitely a persona, a, a conscious being, a living entity. Why? I mean, we see that not only. <laughs> I don't know, Brick Train. If you've been around some of the people I've been around and been, you know, there's. I don't want to go into that all the past, but anyway. There are people today that do have experiences with Satan, just like there are people who have experiences with God. But I know a lot of people wouldn't believe that anyway. So let's keep that into let's just go to like, for example, um, Uh, Book of Job, we got, um, let me see here. Just looking up the word Satan in, in the uh, Blue Letter Bible, and Satan stood up against Israel and provoked David to number Israel. This certainly sounds like an entity that had a, um, a will, had had a mind, and, and you know, had a plan. Um and Job chapter 1, verse 6, verse 7, verse 8, verse 9. I mean, this is definitely an entity. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves for the Lord, and Satan came also among them. What do you think What do you think Satan was? A rock? Like, or a puff of nothing? Uh, a puff of smoke? Um, no, obviously it's, some, it's, it's an entity that actually purposed in himself to go before the Lord. Um, and the Lord said to Satan, from when do you, from whence comest thou? In other words, from where do you come from? And, and Satan answered the Lord. Okay, so not only is it an entity that makes decisions and can move and go places, but it's also an entity that can answer questions. And I don't think it's in, like, I don't think it's a, a robot with AI here. Okay, I don't think so. And, and Satan said, from going to and fro in the earth and walking up and down in it. Sounds like an entity to me. Uh, the Lord said to Satan, "Hast thou have you considered my servant Job? Considered is something that you have to, you have to have a mind to do. Okay. There is there is none like him in the earth. Is perfect upright man. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? So, so that's obvious that Satan can reason within himself. You know." He, he can consider things. Um, there's lots, actually, uh, brick train. If you look through it, um, Satan let Satan stand at his right hand. It's, it's obviously an entity. Uh, all the way through the scriptures. Jesus spoke to Satan. What do you think he was speaking to? Like, you know, the bark on a tree? Like, you know, he was, uh, Jesus said to him, get, get thee hence, or get behind me, Satan. So, something that Satan was a, an entity that could understand and obey. So it's very clear. I mean, of course, I don't want to go through all this stuff. We have just here in alone, we have 56 times in the Bible, in the, this is the King James here, but 56 times alone. This is not even to mention the word devil, which is synonymous with Satan for the most part, 61 times there. So over 100 times. 
um, we have mention of Satan and you see in the context, it is a, an entity, um, a living entity. Yes, absolutely. Millie says, I found your channel because I started questioning the Paul-centered church I attend. Welcome, welcome, Billy. You're in the right place. You're in the right place. Uh, just for, for, for those who are new here, just so I just so you understand my position. It's good to question Paul for the reasons that I mentioned before. Acts chapter 17. It's good to, to question Paul. If you completely throw Paul out, I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. I mean, hey, like I said, you, you want to completely throw him out and say, I don't want nothing to do with his you know, letters, whatever. Hey, I mean, what can I say? I'd say, well, welcome to the book of Acts, <laughs> you know, pre-Paul, uh, the book of Acts church, the original uh, without Paul, pre-Paul. If you don't want to throw him out and just use like how what I usually do is, you know, the things that he says that I think is good. I, 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 I basically, I put him in the, the category of one of the early church fathers. That's what I do. Some of the things he says is good. Some of the things he says, well, we can talk about it. But um, it, to me, it's like another pastor. It's like a pastor. It's like a Christian pastor. Yeah, some of the things you can say is really, you know, really good. Other things, well... Maybe we got some things to talk about, some questions, you know. Um, if you're like 100% pro-Paul, to me, as long as you are 100% like, you know what, you are, you, you believe in obeying God's instructions, his, you know, going by his law, going by his Torah, and you, and you believe in what the Torah says about salvation, not what Paul says. You believe what Jesus says about salvation, not what Paul says. Hey. You know, you want you want to you want to say you're 100 Paul and, and still, if, if all that you know, if you're still if that's if that fits your profile, and you go with what Yeshua said, what the Torah says, it's a it's it's a hard road to be on. I'm telling you that much. It's an uphill battle, but hey, you want to do that again? I'm not gonna I'm not gonna jump down your throat about it. So that's how I look at it. I want to be as objective and as truthful, as historical as possible. Walk Forgiven says, Jesus warns us you should know them by the fruit. Any are grapes picked from thorns or figs from thistles? Paul says he has, he has a thorn uh, from the angel of Satan. Um, how can you bear good fruit? Well, that's um, personally, like I, I, I hear what you're saying, how you interpret that. Personally, I, I do not. Um, I think that the thorn could have been pretty much anything that was an infliction that he had. Um, so I, I, I think that that really may not have anything to do with fruit per se. I mean, because um, someone can have an, an infliction and a thorn in the side, so it's still bear good fruit, good fruit. You could say that. I understand what you're saying. I understand what you're saying there. 
Um, personally, I think that that's, um, it's like a, it's a different issue. Real Truth says, uh, Paul has prophesied here, Isaiah 52, 15, for that which you have not been told, them shall they see. For that which had not been told them, shall they see. And that which they had not heard, they shall consider. Um, I, I don't see that. I don't see how Paul could be in that. I just don't see it. Let's go there. Um, I don't see that at all. I mean, anybody could say this. I mean, that, that, could, that could fit. I mean, Joel Osteen could claim that easily. So in Isaiah chapter 52, uh, verse 13, See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and, ex and highly exalted. Uh, just as there are, were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness. So he will sprinkle many nations and kings will shut their mouths because of him for what they were not told they, were, they will see and what they have not heard they will understand. So this the they are the kings, obviously, who see Jesus crucified. Okay, so basically, what I what I what I see here is that this prophecy is about the Gentile kings who have not read about the crucifixion of Jesus, and when Jesus was crucified, then they saw for themselves something that they didn't, they were not told because they're again they're you know they're ignorant, um, and what they have not heard they will understand. Um. So that's that's what I understand from that portion of scripture, because I understand this to mean my servant whacked wisely. Speaking of Yeshua, he will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted, which most Christians would say he is today. Uh, just as there were many who were appalled at him, meaning the crucifixion, keep him in the crucifixion. He was completely 100 percent naked, torn apart, a bloody mess. You couldn't even under, you couldn't even recognize him. Yeah, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being and his form marred beyond human likeness. So he will sprinkle many nations and kings will shut their mouths because of him. Why? It's obviously because of his appearance. Right. In, 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 in context here, he was so horrible to look at. For what they were not told, they will see, and what they have not heard, they will understand. So this was this was obviously um, fulfilled long, long before Paul came on the scene, as far as I understand that. Real truth says Paul said so. <laughs> how do you know that David Koresh is the Messiah? He said he's Jesus. Well, how do you know that? Because he said so. Um, 
you never ever go by the person himself. You always go by the third parties. Even Jesus said, um, my, if I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. If I honor myself, it means nothing. Okay? Uh, so we cannot use Paul to try to prove Paul because everybody claims that they're right. You know, Muslims would say, you know, the, 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 the person that, that Jesus prophesied about in John chapter 14, 15, 16, that person is Muhammad. Right? How do you know he is, you know, how do you know that everything that, that he said was true? Well, because he said so. Um, no, let's, let's. Again, how do I know that Joel Osteen, oh, Joel Osteen, everything he says is true. Well, how do I know? Well, he said so. You never ever go by what you never go to the source of the information to try to 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 try to legitimatize to try to validate itself because it will validate itself for sure. Yeah, so I guess we can testify of ourselves. Sorry, sarcastic. Yeah, we can't we can't testify of ourselves. That's it. I mean, you know. The way, to, the way to prove it is, again, through the Law and the Prophets and through the Tanakh. That's the way to prove everything. Walk Forgiven says, also Paul says that Jesus he saw had goads, which I understand ha have sharp spines. I do believe this was a figure of speech. The goads is like, you know, you got the cowboys with the goads on the, uh, uh, the cowboy boots, you know, that prick the uh, uh, prick the horse, get it going, you know. Um, it's a figure of speech. Brick Train, Enoch, do you consider the Codex Sinaiticus as a fake? No. Of course, there'd be people saying there might be. Like I said before, everybody denies, right? Everything, everything you can imagine, almost everything you can, you you say, is deniable. There is no such thing as undeniable evidence. All evidence can be denied, but the but the question is, can it plausibly be denied? Can it be denied with good convincing? evidence using good critical thinking because you can you can deny everything right you can, you can deny everything <laughs> so yeah and i'm sure people do that to to justify their their doctrines okay so um but everything so i'm going to be wrapping this up Yes, so if you're new here, as always, um, and you like it, make sure you like. Uh, make sure you're subscribed. If you're if you're not yet, make sure you're following. Depends on what platform you're on. Um, and uh, so what we do here is every single evening, 
um, seven days a week. We go live by the grace of God, uh, Sunday through Friday, six days a week at 7 p.m. Eastern. And every Saturday, we go live at 2 p.m. Eastern. And usually Sunday through Friday, uh, Sunday through Friday, uh, we, we do a Bible, uh, chronological Bible reading. Sometimes on Friday, we have special guests. Um, and Saturday, we have more of a kind of like an open fellowship kind of thing. We just, it's almost like sitting around a table and just talking. And so that's what we've been usually, that's what we do usually. So um, you're all welcome to join. As always, uh, it's it's been a pleasure. And uh, you guys are awesome as always. It's always good, you know, to, uh, to talk about these things and to ask questions. I believe it's good to ask questions and, uh, you know, um, kind of, you know, Challenge one another a little bit. It's good. You know, get, inspire some good critical thinking, inspire some good thinking and inspire us to look more, you know, learn more, research more, all that good stuff. So again, I appreciate y'all. You guys are awesome. You guys are world changers, as I always say. Tammy says, have a great night. All you too, Tammy. Blessings and Shalom to you and yours, everyone there with you. Good to see you. The Real Truth says, Shalom all. Have a great night. Shalom, Real Truth. Blessings, blessings multiplied to you. Billy says, uh, thanks, Christopher. Many blessings, everyone. Good night. Thank you, Billy. And back at you. Uh, Alan says, thank you, brother. Much love and blessings to you all. Again, much love and blessings multiplied back to you. Alan's great to see you as always. Um, great Deception says, hit the like button if you liked it. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. It says, questions good. Yes. Walk Forgiven says, I'm new here in chat this week. Thanks. I'm against Paul's teachings. Welcome, welcome. Welcome, welcome. Welcome home. All right. So good to have you and uh, hope to see you much more in the future. As always, we'll be back tomorrow night, tomorrow night at 7 p.m. If you guys are available. Um, well, Forgiven says, take care. Thank you. You as well. Rachel says, great teachings and great questions. Thank you, Christopher, and shalom, everyone. Thank you very much, Rachel. It's a blessing as always. <laughs> That's good. Alan says, don't worry about Paul. Follow Yeshua, brother. I get it. Yeah. I, it's not talking to me, but uh, talking to someone else there. So, Okay. As always, thanks a, God, th thanks a lot, guys. You guys are awesome. And... Uh, Many blessings to you. Have a great night. Great multiplied shalom to you. And as always, as I always wrap this up, I always end with a prayer. So I pray that the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you. Lift up his countenance upon you and give you wonderful, wonderful shalom. Amen, amen. See you tomorrow night.